at its heart, the message of the gospel is simple. For some people, it's even too simple. They want to do something to earn their salvation. Can you relate? Today, on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah continues his look at the dangers of legalism, which robs believers of the real freedom they have in Christ. To introduce the conclusion of his eye-opening message, Is There Only One Gospel? Here's David. And thank you so much for joining us today. This is Turning Point. Uh, This is the Friday edition, which is, well, it's the end of a week where we've been studying the Word of God and messages about its wonderful truth. Uh, We're going to finish up what we started yesterday today, which is a chapter uh, in this book and a message on this series answering the question, is there only one gospel? We're in the first few verses of the book of Galatians, and um, Paul is answering our question. During this month, we're offering you a very special opportunity to receive a beautiful gift book, 287 pages, gilded pages, beautiful cover. It's called Living the 66 Books of the Bible. It is a way for you to look at every book in the Bible and see why that book was written and how it practically impacts your life. It's a companion to the earlier copy, which was simply the 66 books of the Bible. The first book told you what was in the book. This book, this follow-up resource, tells you how the book wants to work in your life, how to make it come alive every day. You don't want to miss the opportunity to get this. It's yours for a gift of any size during the month of June. And we're coming now to the end of the final full week of June. We still have four days left next week, but you don't want to wait any longer. Get your gift in the mail, and when you send your gift, say, send me the book on the Bible, and we'll do it. Right now, we need to get started and finish up what we discussed yesterday. Is there only one gospel? Right here on Turning Point. Since Christ has done all of this for us, how presumptuous it must seem to God when we try to add something human into what he's already done. It's like we're saying, God, thank you for the gospel, but it's not quite enough. The gospel is either God's gospel or it's no gospel. And Paul is saying, you can't say to these new Galatian believers, you have been saved by the grace of God, and the gospel is sufficient for you, oh, but you need the law too. And it was the very thing that they were doing that so angered Paul. I need to tell you, we're going to find this out before we're done. This is a violent passage of scripture. I mean, Paul is exercised in this passage of scripture, more so than you've ever seen your pastor exercised in this pulpit. To put it mildly, the boy's upset. (laughs) And he's upset for a legitimate reason. It's because the Gentile churches were being taught that what Jesus did through his death on the cross was not enough. It may have been adequate for their initial salvation, but they needed something more in order to maintain their Christian life. Paul says something. Turn in your Bibles over to the third chapter. I just want to read the first three verses of the third chapter. Listen how Paul deals with this. He says, listen, he says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? Now watch this. Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. This only, he says, here's the question I want to ask you. Listen up. He said, I just want to know this. 
Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, that you can now be made perfect in the flesh? You who think, I'm saved by grace, but i got to keep myself saved and walking with God by my own works. Paul said, are you so foolish to think that you can keep yourself in a situation you can never get yourself into in the first place? How foolish is that? You cannot be saved without the grace of God, and you cannot live the Christian life without the grace of God. There's nobody here who can live the Christian life in his own flesh, in his own strength. I've said before, the Christian life isn't hard. It's not difficult. It's impossible. Can I get a witness? It's impossible. And the impossibility of it means that only Jesus Christ living his life in you or in me can make the Christian life work. It is not by adding some regulations and some rules. And this is the way I grew up. I grew up with the rules and the regulations. Here's the problem with that. I knew a lot of people that kept all the rules. They didn't smoke. They didn't chew. They didn't go with girls who do. I mean, that's how they work, you know. (laughs) They kept all the law. I mean... They didn't violate the filthy five, the nasty nine, or the dirty dozen. I want to tell you something. They kept them all. And some of them were mean people. They kept all the rules, and they weren't nice. I mean, as a young person growing up, I would look at that and say, you know what? If keeping all the rules makes you like them, forget it. Let's go break some, you know? What's wrong with that? It's the idea that somehow externally you can become what you were only made to be from the inside out through the grace of God. You can no more live the Christian life in your own strength by keeping a set of man-made rules than you could get to heaven by keeping a set of man-made rules. So Paul's opening statement is clear to these questioning Galatian Christians. He's saying... It's not a matter of law and grace. It's not a matter of law or grace. It's grace and it's grace alone. You can't add anything to it and you're not allowed to subtract anything from it. It is the pure grace of God. Can I just stop for a moment and say, in all the years since I've been preaching the Bible, I feel the necessity to say this at this time more than ever before. The gospel of Jesus Christ is being totally destroyed by the things people are trying to do to it. And the result is that a lot of God's people get confused. They get like the Galatians, wondering if there's something they should be doing that they're not doing. They've lost their joy because they forgot that the joy was God's gift to them. And it's theirs to enjoy. It's theirs to experience. It's sort of like being married. I don't get up in the morning and when we sit at the table as Don and I do every morning, say to her, okay, baby, what 14 things do I have to do today to stay in your good graces? (laughs) I don't do that. Now, she may want to give me a few that I don't ask for, but I don't ask for them. And here's the reason, and I say this, I mean, this helps me understand this. This is the reason I say this. I don't do what I do in relationship to my wife because I feel that I have to or I've got this law over me or if I don't do this. No, no, no. I'll tell you what. Years ago, I made a commitment and a decision. And this was even after we'd been married for it. It took me a while to figure this out. That my role and my goal and my wonderful desire was to serve my wife. I love to serve my wife. What does that mean? That means looking around to see things that need to be done before she tells you to do them. (laughs) 
It's so much more fun to do that, isn't it? You guys look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> what I'm saying is if you get up every morning, you don't get up and say, okay, I got these 14 things I got to do for Donna or I'm going to be in a lot of trouble. No. You get up and say, this is another day to live with this woman that I love. And what in my heart can I do to serve her because I love her so much? That's how we relate to Christ as Christians. Because of his love for us, we don't live with this heavy-handed thought over our head. We get up and say, Lord Jesus, thank you for all you've done for me. Help me to live my life today to please you. I just want to serve you, Lord. I just want to serve you. What a different response that is from the legalism of the law. Now, I want you to notice this passage is put together in an interesting way. It's kind of an inside-out passage. Let me explain what I mean. In the first verse or so, we have Paul's discussion of the true messenger. We looked at that already. Then he moves from the true messenger, and he talks about the true message. And we've talked about the true message of the gospel. And then he takes the true message and backs it up next to the false message, and then he goes to the false messenger. So it's kind of like inside out. Now he's going to talk about the false message. And what is the false message? Notice in verse 6, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him that called you into the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. One of the things we notice, first of all, is Paul says, whoever this is that's doing this to the Galatian believers is troubling them and perverting the gospel in the process. That's pretty serious. Don't do that. But notice, Paul is astonished. He's shocked. He's overwhelmed that the Galatians, who've only been Christians for a short time, have so quickly turned away from the simplicity of their faith. And at this place in all of Paul's letters, <laughs> this is interesting, in this place in all of Paul's letters, right here in the first part of the chapter of chapter 1, there's a prayer. There is no prayer in this letter. Paul is not in the praying mood. Have you ever had people do this? You're having a discussion with a spiritual brother or sister, and it gets really difficult, and they're not really dealing with the truth, and so they say, you know, why don't we pray? <laughs> I've actually said this. No, we're not going to pray. This is no time for prayer. We're going to deal with this issue, then we'll pray. And Paul is saying, this is no time for prayer. He's not going to pray about this. Paul is upset, and he's not going to pray. He accuses his readers of being turncoats. He says, how could you so quickly turn away from the purity of the gospel which was given to you? And this word turn away is the word which really means a military revolt and a change of attitude. The apostle thinks of the readers as having changed sides. You have become Christians and now you're going back to the old way. And these are tough words. These are grave words. The Galatians were not just exchanging one set of opinions for another set of opinions. No, they were not merely preferring one acceptable way to another acceptable way. Paul makes it clear that by leaving the grace of God, they have left God himself. And the seriousness of this erosion is observable in two words that Paul uses. And I don't like to get into all this Greek stuff because I'm not trying to impress you, but these two words are really important. The first word is this. Notice in your Bible, he says, you have turned to a different gospel. Underline different in your Bible. You know what the word is in the language of the New Testament? It's the word heteros. And we would know that meaning because we talk about somebody who is heterosexual. What does that mean? They're interested in the opposite sex. 
What Paul is saying is here, you have turned to a heteros gospel. It's not the same gospel. It's a different gospel. It's not even the real gospel. He's saying you haven't changed from one gospel that's acceptable to God to another gospel that's acceptable to God. No, 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 no. You've given up the real gospel for a different gospel. And then he uses another word, alas, which isn't even the same. (laughs) This isn't even the same. This is not a gospel. Ladies and gentlemen, when you corrupt the simplicity of the grace of God in the gospel, you do away with the gospel. It isn't the gospel anymore. You can't do that. And if it isn't the gospel, it can't save anybody. (laughs) If there's anything I could do to merit the grace of God, then it isn't the grace of God. If there's anything I could do to be acceptable to God, do you think he would have sent his own son into this world to die on my behalf? I don't think so. The reason he came was because I'm incapable of reaching up to God in my own strength. I have nothing to give him. The Bible says even my righteousnesses are as filthy rags. My hands are empty, and all I can do with empty hands is receive what God has already done. That's God's grace. And when somebody comes along and tries to add something to the gospel, Paul understands that to be a serious violation that should not be just winked at and let go. According to the apostle, there is no compromise. It's either the gospel of grace or it is not the gospel at all. Now, he comes finally to the false messenger. And in verses 8 and 9, here's what Paul says. As if his words had not already been strong enough. Verse 8, he says, But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. Whoa. I'm telling you, this is a little violent, (laughs) In fact, an angel from heaven is the highest created authority. Even an angel cannot defy the authority of God and preach a gospel that does not originate with God. Paul says that if a man or an angel should dare to do such a thing, he is anathema. That's the word. Accursed. If someone should stand in this pulpit someday and teach a gospel that is not the gospel of grace, God puts his stamp of curse on that person. He is selected for damnation. That's what it means. You say, whoa, pastor, that's strong. He surely didn't mean it. Well, yes, he did. He did mean it because he said it again in the next verse. In case we didn't get it. Verse 9, as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. Why would Paul repeat himself? Well, for one thing, sure would leave an impression on the people who were reading it. Remove any doubt that maybe he had miswritten or misspoken. No, Paul wants us to understand this is not an optional thing we should concern ourselves about. This is a serious issue. Don't mess with the gospel. Perhaps you're thinking, well, aren't Paul's words a little severe? I mean, in our age of tolerance and easygoing religion, Paul's words are really harsh. We have been conditioned in our culture to accept anything. I mean, that's the standard deal. The thing that we want now more than anything else is to be tolerant, politically correct, never say anything. I mean, even in our government, we're taking out all the words that might offend anyone. And John Stott said what that represents is what is going on today. It's called syncretism. Syncretism is bringing everything together 
from all of the various things and making it all one. Take a piece of this and a piece of that and mix and match a little of this. Take some of the scientists, take some of their stuff and take some of the stuff from the Old Testament. And that's where a lot of people are today. They're collecting things. And here's what they say. I'm going to get all this stuff and collect it all and I'm going to make my own religion. Well, my friend, if you make your own religion, you're going to have to make your own heaven because you aren't going there. Because you can't get to heaven in your own religion. Whoever taught you that you get to make the rules? Almighty God is your creator. He's set the rules out. He doesn't say to you, okay, you guys, you're on the earth now. Go find a way. Put something together and bring it to me. Let's see if we can make it work. God is not a syncretist. And if you think you can get to heaven by just grabbing a little bit of this and a little bit of that and putting it all together and creating your own religion, it isn't going to happen. It's high time that Christians discover that the very heart of our faith is Jesus Christ and that Jesus Christ did not come to make a contribution to the religious storehouse of mankind, that he came to reconcile the world unto himself. And that's what Paul is saying. What Paul is saying is, hey, listen up. The gospel is the gospel. Don't take from it, don't add to it, or it isn't the gospel anymore. A person who doesn't believe the gospel of God will end up in an eternal hell. That's why Paul said, if anybody preaches another gospel, let him be accursed. Because that person is leading people down a primrose path that will land them in an eternal fire forever and ever. And that's pretty serious. Paul says, don't do that. Don't tamper with the one thing that God has given you that will get you to heaven. Don't tamper with it for your sake or anybody else's. Everybody take a deep breath. (laughs) Ask yourself this question. Why is this not taught? Why do we stay away from this? We don't want to be controversial. We have become so mesmerized by the importance of tolerance. We think we are being godly if we go out of our way not to ever offend anyone. And God sees it quite differently, friends. To God and to his apostle, the issues of all eternity are hanging in the balance for the human soul. Think of the value of a soul for a moment. A soul created by a direct act of God in his own image and in his own likeness. And that soul is deathless. Oh, you said, Pastor, what do you mean? If I don't accept Christ, I just die and it's over. Oh, no, it's not. The Bible teaches that every one of us will be alive somewhere forever and ever and ever. The soul that God gave you when he created you is a deathless, eternal soul. Its value is so great, this soul. It's so great that Jesus Christ himself, the second person of the Godhead, came from the mansions of glory to this sick, sad world to pay the price of our redemption. And he had to give his own life as a ransom for our souls. He died on Calvary's cross to the jeers and the sneers of the mocking multitude. He who knew no sin became sin for us because of the value of the soul. As far as God is concerned, to tamper with so great a salvation is to tamper with the eternal destiny of a human soul. Now maybe we can understand a little bit why Paul 
was so angry about what these people were doing. The Bible says, when we were without strength, Christ died for us. Our only hope is grace and grace alone. Our only hope is that Almighty God would reach down into the pit where we are and by his wonderful grace pull us up out of our situation, which he did because of the cross of Jesus Christ. Our only hope. And when people play with the content of the grace of God, they play with the only hope of the world. Which is why we shouldn't be quite so tolerant sometimes as we are. And maybe a little bit more strident than we are to say, no, that's the glorious, wonderful gospel of God's grace. You leave it alone. It belongs to God. And it's the only hope of the world. And my friend, it's not just the only hope of the world. It's the only hope for any of us in this room. One of the reasons why so many people, and especially is this true of men, so many men struggle with the gospel is because, and I've actually heard them say to me, Pastor Jeremiah, I believe your gospel. It's just too easy, too simple. Tell me something I can do. Tell me something I can do, and then I'll believe your gospel. But there isn't anything you can do. If there was anything any of us could do, Jesus Christ wouldn't have come down here. He came down here because we were at the bottom of the well, and we couldn't get out. And he sent Jesus down here to rescue us. What a great story. What a great, wonderful truth. One day I was at the bottom of the well, and Jesus rescued me. How many of you have been rescued here today? Say, I've been rescued. I've been rescued. Amen. And until we come to the place where we understand our helplessness apart from the grace of God, we can't be saved. Because until we understand that, we keep trying to give God something. Lord, I go to church a lot, God. (laughs) I'm a good husband, God. I work hard, man. I've made a good living and provided. Those are all great things, but they have nothing to do with you going to heaven. (laughs) Until you come to the place the Bible says as a little child and say, Lord, I need you in my life. I've tried everything else. (laughs) And I need you. And I realize that unless you do it all, it'll never happen. And so I give myself to you. Lord, you've come to give me this gift, and I receive it, and I accept it. And when you do that, then you become a Christian. Until you do that, as long as you're trying to claw your way up the side of the well, you can't become a Christian because you're trying to do it your way. God says, no, that's never going to be enough. I did it all. Everything that needs to be done is done. All you have to do is accept it and receive it, and you can be a Christian. And everybody who is a Christ follower got to be a Christ follower that way. There isn't any other way. We come to the end of ourselves, and we accept what Jesus did for us on the cross. Amen. And this is how Jesus put it. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except through me. So is there only one way? Is there only one gospel? Jesus answered the question, didn't he? John 14. Well, we're going to take a break for the weekend. When we come back on Monday, we're going to talk about a book that will change your life. And uh, we're going to go into the Psalms, Psalm 19, a passage that I write in the front of every Jeremiah Study Bible when I sign it. We'll talk about what that means. Uh, We'll finish up this series on Thursday and then begin the teaching in the month of July on 
prayer, the great adventure. A lot of stuff ahead of us that are very exciting, very practical. Don't forget, uh, there's just a few days left for you to order your copy of Living the 66 Books of the Bible. This 287-page hardcover book is yours uh, when you send a gift of any size to Turning Point, and you can do that right now. Just sit down, send a gift, say thank you uh, for the ministry of, of teaching, and then be sure to ask for your copy of the book. When you ask for it, we'll send it, and you'll be blessed to have it as a part of your library. It's our wonderful privilege to make these resources available to our wonderful friends who help us hold the truth of the Word of God up high for the whole world. And there's never been a time when it's been more necessary, so thank you in advance. Have a wonderful weekend. Get to church. Watch Turning Point on television. Be back here on Monday. We'll see you then. Today's message came to you from Shadow Mountain Community Church and Senior Pastor Dr. David Jeremiah. We'd love to know how Turning Point is encouraging you, so please write us at Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, Delta, B.C., V4L2M4. Visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or call 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's new book, Living the 66 Books of the Bible, and learn to better understand and apply God's Word each day. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James versions, with notes and articles from Dr. Jeremiah's decades of study. Visit davidjeremiah.ca slash radio for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us Monday as we continue the series, The Word, here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Did you know that nearly 2 million Turning Point radio programs are broadcast each year? Your support enables Turning Point to continue delivering the unchanging Word of God to an ever-changing world. And thanks to our giving challenge, any fiscal year-end gift you give until the end of June will be doubled up to $50,000. You can help Turning Point finish strong by donating today. Call 800-946-4300 or go to davidjeremiah.ca. If you enjoy listening to Turning Point with David Jeremiah, you'll be happy to hear that there is now a daily Turning Point television broadcast that you can watch each weekday. Tune in to Faith TV, Joy TV, or Miracle Channel Monday through Friday to watch the Turning Point daily television broadcast. Be sure to check your local listings for the channel and time in your area. Or visit davidjeremiah.ca forward slash TV to download a program schedule or watch at your convenience. That website again is davidjeremiah.ca forward slash TV. If you're ready to go deeper in your Bible study, Living the 66 Books of the Bible by Dr. David Jeremiah will help. You'll learn how to identify each book's purpose, theme, challenge, verse, and prayer. And it's yours with a donation of any amount to Turning Point this month. And if you give $60 or more, you'll also receive the first volume of this series and a Genesis through Revelation DVD. To learn more, visit davidjeremiah.ca. Isaac Newton is considered by many to be history's most brilliant scientist. So what he said about his discoveries is worth noting. If I have ever made any valuable discoveries, he said, it has been owing more to patient attention than to any other talent. 
Do we still have the ability to give patient attention to anything today? Psalmist David, I'm convinced, gained so much insight into God because he meditated on God's Word. That is, he gave patient attention to the knowledge of God. He slowly thought about and prayed about things he didn't know and understand. This is David Jeremiah, encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's rewards for patient attention in all areas of life on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.